of cricket for the ministry. But no, I was never a cricketer. I tried, but could never make it. But on my passport, you'll ha- I have my place of birth, and that gives me certain rights within the country that has, my, has, has the name on it. Now, for me to get an Irish passport, because, you know, you may have noticed by now that I have a Northern Irish accent, and I am able to get an Irish passport. And I went and looked at this when, when, when Brexit happened, because um, prior to COVID, um, I did a lot of kind of uh, missions work into, into uh, you know, Romania. Um, we're looking at, at trying to get into Moldova a little bit later on, but certainly with Romania, you're working within the EU system there, and, and it's a lot easier to travel and do anything like that on, in a European passport. And of course, an Irish passport is still a European passport. So I looked at this and got the application form, still have the application forms sitting in the house. This was two years ago, so uh, um, you know, I am getting around to it. But what, what the issue was is I thought it would be a lot easier than it was because... I can get an Irish passport because my mother um, was, was Northern Irish and she was born in Northern Ireland, so therefore I'm entitled. So I thought it was just a sim- simple thing of, of, you know, this is me, this is my mother, give me a passport. But it's not. I have to prove my heritage. And what they require is, is, is marriage certificates, um, 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 death certificates from, from my mother, all that sort of stuff to prove uh, that I have a, have, a, have a right to be part of the rights of that country and that in, in terms of Ireland. And, and that's what you need. When you go to anywhere to become a citizen, you have to prove something to the people that, that you want to become a citizen of. That's, that's part of the, the whole thing. And when we get to Ezra chapter number 2, we're going to see here the returning remnant, and we're going to see that in this returning remnant, heritage is very important. Citizenship and heritage is very important, especially within Judaism. And, and, and they had to prove their line to be able to do what they needed to do. And that's an important thing. And when we get into uh, Ezra chapter number 2 and we get through it, you can, we've only read the first two verses, but when you get onto it and through it, you get the list of names and, and, and you know, places and people, etc., etc., and it can go on a little bit. And um, Ezra, uh, Nehemiah chapter 7 is a parallel to this. You'll get kind of the same thing where you have this whole chapter almost dedicated to these names and, and on and on it goes. And, and, and some, some of this... This can be death by dynasty, can't it? Let's, let's be true, honest. You know, we're, we're January. You know, who started their, their read the Bible for a year plan? You're still going through it. Okay, so you're, you're, well, you're well, out of the, well out of Chronicles and stuff like that. But are you come back to it? You're just going around like the fourth bridge. Just keep going around, keep painting it. But what, what happens is that a lot of people start off and they get in and, and they, they start at Genesis and Genesis is quite action-packed and then, and then you go on through the, the books, of, books of the law and, and you know there's good stuff and you know some of us may struggle a little bit at Leviticus or whatever it may be. And then we get on and you know we're into Samuel and you know the story's there and, 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 and the account's there and it's quite thrilling really. Uh, and then we get to the kind of Chronicles and we start to go through the family names and and the reading plan gets a little tougher and a little harder and a bit more of a struggle when we get bogged down. But you have to think, why are they there? Because it's God's inspired word, isn't it? And God doesn't mess about. He doesn't waste in what he reveals and he inspires. 
Everything's there for a reason. So it's important. Why is it important? Within Judaism, it's extremely important. Your heritage plays a huge part in who you are within the system of Judaism. It's, it's, it's a massive thing. It's a massive thing. And, 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 and what it does is it ties those people back into the covenants that were given, the Abrahamic covenant. And when we've talked about that, and we continue to talk about that on Sunday evenings, how the Abrahamic covenant is a foundational covenant given to Israel. Israel. And out of that covenant, the three important covenants given to Israel spring out. The land covenant... The Davidic covenant and the new covenant all come out of the foundation of the Abrahamic covenant. All tied into that family that God was dealing with. Now we sit here today as Gentiles that are blessed because we have entered into the privileges that come along with the new covenant. Now this is to deal with service. This is not salvation. Salvation is always by by faith alone, through grace alone, in Christ alone. Always. But this is service, privilege, blessings that were given to Israel that we have entered into today as part of the new covenant. But these are given to Israel. So within Judaism, it was important for them to be able to trace their heritage all the way back to Abraham to prove their rights to the covenant that God had given for them to be God's chosen elect nation. Heritage was of supreme importance to them. And in chapter number 2 of Ezra, we get a a little list of all these people that are going back as the returning remnant to rebuild the temple. And the heritage is important, and we're going to see that. And, and, And as we look at this, we have to understand that, you know, this is important. Now, we're not going to go through line by line, family by family. You'll be glad to know, or we will be here all day. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is look at this and expand a little bit because we have to remember behind the facts of history, I want you to remember this, are the purposes of God as revealed in his word and through his will. That these things that are happening are not just uh, random events that are occurring. These are the purposes of God as he moves history to further his purposes in the redemption of man, in the restoration of his nation Israel, this is what we're seeing here, according to his will as revealed in his word. So let's get into Ezra chapter number 2 and, and, and look, look at it this morning. Here's the first thing we want to see. We want to examine the, the list of the, return, the leaders of the returning remnant, sorry, in verses 1 and 2. So we'll begin with the leaders of this returning remnant. Let's read verse 1 and 2 again. Now these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had carried away into Babylon and came again into Jerusalem, Judah, everyone in his own city, which came with, so here's the leaders of the returning remnant, Zerubbabel, Yeshua, Nehemiah, Zeruiah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Rehum, Banan. The number of the men of the people of Israel. And so here we have the leaders. And if you remember, I know we've had a little break, 
but, but we looked at how God had been stirring the people. You remember? He'd been stirring the hearts of the people. He'd been stirring these leaders to get up and lead. And, and here's what I see, that God has his people in place for when his people are ready to move according to the response to his word and his decrees. God will raise up his people, his leaders, in the right time, in the right place, according to the need and the desire of the people to respond to that need. God will do that. He's always done that. Always done it. He raised up Moses, didn't he? When they needed a godly leader to deliver the people. He raised up Joshua when they needed a godly warrior to go into the land and take the land. He raised up the judges when the people needed to be corrected. He raised up uh, the apostles to lead the early church. He raised up the reformers to break out of those dark times where the doctrine of justification by faith had been buried and replaced by a traditional system of works. God raises up his people at the right time according to the need in response to that need of the people. God always has his people, always has his leaders. And God has raised up these men. He has brought them to this time and this place. In Ezra chapter 2, verse 2, they weren't just any men. They were specific men that God had stirred for that part. And notice I said, men to lead. I'm not ashamed of that. And neither should you be in a world that's ashamed of saying that God has a design. And God has an order that in pulpits, in spiritual leadership, it should be men. That's God's design. I'm not not ashamed of that and neither should you be that's not something that doesn't work if it's done in a godly way it works because it's God's way so God has raised up these men in Ezra chapter number two and in Ezra chapter number two and in, in verse two if you if you uh, uh, look at that you'll see that there are 11 names there but when we compare this list to the parallel passage in, in Nehemiah uh, you can turn there if you like. Nehemiah chapter number 7, just the next book over. So Nehemiah 7, verse 7. Again, this is a parallel account. You know, they're writing it as contemporaries. And uh, Nehemiah verse 7, verse 7. You'll see on the list there, uh, comparing with Ezra 2, 2. And if you compare the two, you'll see. Um, other than, than slightly maybe different names of spelling, you'll find actually in there that there's 12 names. There's 11 names given in Ezra. There's 12 names given in uh, Nehemiah chapter 7. There's an, an extra little name. Nehemiah is in there, and he's not found in, in Ezra 7. It's, why, do I, why do I say that? Why do I show you that? Why do I even bother to mention that? Well, the Word of God is complementary. And when you put it together, you get the full account. Same with the Gospels. You put them together, you get a full account of every aspect. And Nehemiah gives us an extra detail under the inspiration of God that there's actually 12 of these leaders that go back and lead the people. Why is that important? Because the number 12 is important in Scripture. How many tribes of Israel is there? How many? You think that's an accident? No. How many apostles? Twelve. Is that an accident? No. 
The number 12 in Scripture is important. It's another number that's considered one of God's perfect numbers. It symbolizes power and authority. It, it serves as perfect governmental foundation. That's what the whole concept of it is. So here we see that there are 12 that go back. And again, this is, this is a whole representation of almost a nation as well going back. So this number 12 that I wanted to point out, even though it reads 11 in Ezra 2, we add Nehemiah in, we get 12 and we understand that this is God's hand here. This is God raising these leaders up, setting and appointing 12, representative of the whole nation, but also the, the consideration of that number 12 and what it pictures and what it symbolizes. And, and as these 12 leaders are raised up, and, and in those 12 leaders, well, there's a couple of names that may be familiar and we may get a little confused. And, and it's worth clarifying this actually, Ezra 2, verse 2, because we have uh, Nehemiah in there. We have Mordecai in there. That's not the same Nehemiah from the book of Nehemiah. And that's not the same, of, same Mordecai from the book of Esther. Because there was more than one Nehemiah and there was more than one Mordecai. And uh, we're going to have, a, we'll, we'll maybe touch base on Mordecai as we get through this, because those events um, we're going to see, and we're going to have to talk about the events of Esther as we go through the book of Ezra, and they're in that time period. So nevertheless, God has raised up his leaders to lead the people. He has raised up 12. He has stirred the spirit of these men, and they have been raised up to lead the returning remnant back into the land to rebuild the temple. And, and here I, I want to say to you that again, once again, that it is men that are leaded up, led up, or, 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 sorry, are stirred up by God to take this role of leadership, but also that they have to be godly men to accomplish God's work. And that's the true test of leadership. Not just that it's good leadership, because you can get good leadership anywhere. You can get good leadership anywhere. And often that's confused. There's a confusion between what, what, what is godly leadership and what's good leadership. And, and we can look at, at, at churches uh, and, and of all denominations and we can see that, you know, why, why have they got thousands of people coming in there? You know, that, that must be well led and it will be well led. But there's a difference between good leadership and godly leadership. The world has good leadership, but it doesn't have godly leadership. Only the house of God can have godly leadership. And, and what happens is that, that everything rises and falls upon that godly leadership. So you can have a good leader in the pulpit, but if he's not godly, if his walk with God is not right, if his account with God is not right, if he's not seeking God, then it's not going to be godly leadership. It'll be good and it may get you somewhere, but it won't get you to where God wants you to be. God has stirred the spirit of these leaders and he is moving them to lead the people back into the land. So God has raised up his leaders for his time, for his purposes, and these 12 from Ezra chapter 2 were it. So that's the leaders of the returning remnant. But let's have a look at the list of the returning remnant. And you'll be glad, as I've said, we're not going to read all that. If you just want to skip down, all the way down to verse 64 of chapter 2. It says, The whole congregation together was 40 and 2,303 score, besides their servants and maids of whom there were 
7,337, and there were among them 200 singing men and singing women. So here we're told, as we skip through all those verses, uh, we get a quick summary of the, of the total. And basically, there's up nearly 50,000 people that are going to make this journey back to the land, to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple. And you may say, well, that seems like a large number, 50,000, and 50,000 it is. But contextually, with the amount of people that there was in the captivity, it's a very small amount of the total population of Jews in the land that could have gone back. Now, we've talked about this, and, and, and many would have had their reasons why they didn't go. Many would have just had excuses why they didn't go. They were comfortable probably in Babylon. They were comfortable in the exile. They had made a life for themselves there. And, and the journey to Jerusalem was a perilous one. It was going to be a difficult one. It was going to be a challenging one. And they had rel- relative comfort and safety under the, the arms of that empire that they, they were, had been assimilated by. So many would have just had excuses. Many would have had valid reasons why they couldn't go. But we looked at this as we worked through Ezra. It was clear that just because they weren't part of the returning remnant doesn't mean they were disconnected from the returning remnant. That they were to be there practically and prayerfully. Remember how we've seen that? How they were to give to the work? And not just any old thing, but precious things, you remember? They were to be part of it. Even though they weren't on the front line, as it were, making that expedition, they were to be part of the work. Each and every one of them was, was to be part of this work. They weren't disconnected from it. So they, these 50,000 that were to go set out towards Jerusalem. And Ezra chapter 2, uh, from verse 3 on to 63, gives us the list of those people. And just to break it down for you, in verses 3 to 20, uh, the names of 18 Jewish families are listed. Verses 21 to 35, the returnees are listed according to cities and villages. And then in verse 36 to 42, we have the Levites, the priests and those that would work in the temple, including the singers and porters. In verses 43 to 58, we have the Nethanims and the children of Solomon's servants. These were workers in the temple that were not Levites. So they were only doing the menial, menial tasks. So really, the, the, these were the, 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 the very low-end laborers, if you like. Then in verse 59 to 63, you have the disqualified. Those that couldn't prove their Jewish ancestry. Look at, look at verse 59, actually, because we'll see that. It said, And these were they which went up from Telmelah, Telharsha, Cherub, Adan, and Emer, but they could not show their father's house and their seed whether they were of Israel. They couldn't prove their heritage. And, and really, that put them aside in the whole system within Judaism because heritage was so important. Then in verses 64 to 67, you have the totals, which brings us to about 50,000 uh, uh, that returned. Now, as we read that list, and, and, and I've gone through those different things, what I see here, and, 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 and we're going to do a little bit of application this morning, is that, that God uses all sorts of people for his work. All sorts of people. You see, in this list of those that are going back, that have been stirred up to go back, we've got the disqualified. We've got uh, those that are just not Levites, but, but, but are the, 
the people that just do the humping and dumping, if you like, in the temple. There is Levites, of course there is. But there's all sorts of other people. There's just normal Jewish people that are not Levites. There's people that can't prove their ancestry. There's all sorts that are stirred by God to come and do God's work in rebuilding the temple. And what I see for the application for us today as the church is, is this is a list of the church. We're people from all places, all backgrounds, all lifestyles. Some of us have got saved from an early age. Some of us get saved later in life. Some of us have lived lives that they'd rather forget. Some of us have made terrible mistakes in our life. We're all brought together in the body of Christ. Saved, born again, set apart to be part of God's work. God doesn't do anything new and it's amazing to see that in the Old Testament he was using all sorts that were willing to respond to the stirring of God and these people did it and as the church we should understand that we are part of this oh I'm disqualified no you're not oh you don't know what I was like before I couldn't possibly serve God no no that's done it's gone you're a new creation. You can't claim anything from the past to stop you serving Christ in your future. You can't. But the old me, the old me's dead. Dead. You're a new creature. You're a new creation. And you're called to be part of God's work. You, know, you might say, Pastor, why are you not doing a, uh, you know, a cheery up and at him New Year's message? Because this is a New Year's message. That you're part of this. Each and every one of us is part of this. Turn with me. Let, t- if you have your Bible, turn with me. If you're on your electronic device, turn there uh, to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 12. Verse 14. And if you've got a pen or anything, highlighter, marker, whatever it may be, it would be good to, to make sure that you know, when you come to church with your Bible, have a pen. Because I'm going to ask you to do this a lot. As we go through these books expositionally, line by line, precept by precept, there are things that we want to highlight and, and put down and meditate upon as we go into the week. And here's one thing, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14, for the body is not one member, but many. I want you to un- underline, not one, and then underline, but many. Not one, but many. Many. That word many in the Greek is plenteous. It's not one person's work. The body doesn't consist of one. It consists of many. Us, the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 16. Ephesians 4, verse 16. 
Ephesians 4 verse 16. From whom the whole body fit joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth according to the factual working in the measure of every part making increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. Highlight every part. Every part. And then unto the edifying of itself. Every part. All of us. The returning remnant, they must have seemed like the, the ones that were at the forefront of it. And they were to a certain extent, but they weren't alone. Those that were left behind were to support it. And those leaders that went, they went with a band of all sorts of people, united in the cause to go forth in God's work. And God is willing to use all sorts of people. And you are the right people because you're God's people. You say, Pastor, Pastor, you know, I'm not the right person. You don't know the things I've done. Uh, You don't know what I've got up to. You don't know uh, how how my mind works and the things that I think and the things that I do. Uh, Well, here's what I want to say to you. If you're born again, if you know the Lord is your Savior, then you're the right person for God's work. Because you're God's person. And that's what he saved you for. To be part of his work. That's why you were left on this earth the minute God saved you. Do you understand that this morning, church? That God is a loving God, yes? Amen? God is a gracious God, amen? God's a compassionate God, amen? God looks at the wickedness of this world and he's horrified by it. He's grieved by it, amen? And what father would want his child to live in the world that is so wicked and so evil when he lives in a place that is so pure and so perfect? No God would do that. No loving father would do that unless he had a specific purpose for his child on this earth. And that's to serve him. That we might see his purposes unfold before our very eyes. That we would be about the business of the gospel. That we would be the body of Christ and come together, every one of us, as we serve our Lord. That's what we're here for. And I can't believe how we have lost sight of it. Not us personally, but God's children have lost sight of that in a world that is, is full of distraction. We have bought the lie that our purpose in this earth is to come to church when we can and when we feel like it. Our purpose in this life is to go about and, and, and just feather our nest and build our little empire and tell people about God if we feel like it or if the opportunity arises. And actually there's just a group of people that will drive the church forward and they're the ones that will do it. They're the returning remnant from Ezra, if you like. And we just sit back and we're disconnected and we don't have anything to do with it. That is a lie of the devil. It's a lie of the devil. Because the word of God tells us that we are part of the body. The character of God tells us that, that he has saved us, but there must be a reason for that salvation. It's not just to leave us here in some form of purgatory. 
Surely God would take us straight to heaven where his glory is, where his presence is, where the angelic host is. If he loved us so, would he not take us straight there? Who wouldn't want to go to heaven right now? I'm there. I'm there. Wake up and turn look on news every day and go, Lord, come Lord Jesus. But he hasn't came. And he hasn't took us. That means we're here for a purpose. We're here for a purpose. And in the list of the returning remnant, we've seen that God uses all sorts of people. And God is still in that business. And if you belong to the Lord, you know him as your saviour, then you are the right person for God's work because you're God's person. That's it. That's it. Simple question is, are you willing to serve him? That's what it comes down to. It's a sacrifice of your will. So we've looked at the leaders of the returning remnant. We've looked at the list of the returning remnant. Finally and quickly, we're going to have a look at the line of the returning remnant. And this is important. As I've said, there were many different people coming. Many different people returning um, as the remnant. And it was God that had stirred up their spirits. And this 50,000, this band of 50,000 were coming back. But in, within this, there was very specific people that were there that had to be there for God's purposes to continue on. And the first of those was Zerubbabel, one of the leaders who came back, Ezra 2.2. 2. And, and Zerubbabel was of the royal line, the Davidic line. Um, he was the, uh, the grandson of, of King Jeconiah of Judah, and he was a descendant of David. That was important. Why was it important? Because the kingly line had to come back to the place where the throne of the king was to be. And then secondly, Yeshua, or Joshua, comes back and he's of the priestly line. He's of the high priestly line through Eleazar. And uh, so Joshua was the high priest in Zerubbabel's day. And, and was of the order of Jedi and could be traced back to Eleazar. So it was important that the, the, that the priestly line came back. Why was it important that the priestly line came back? Because the temple worship couldn't resume unless the high priest was there. The sins of the nation couldn't be atoned for at the Day of Atonement, Leviticus 16, unless the high priest was there. He was the only one that could go before the presence of God. So without the return of the right people, the efforts would have been in vain. So we see that that the priestly line was needed for the temple worship to resume. The kingly line was needed for the kingdom to resume. So the line of the returning remnant was supremely important. It had to be the right people that went back to do God's work. But that's Old Testament economy. New Testament economy. New Testament economy. We do need priests to do God's work today. But each and every one of us is part of a royal priesthood. After the order of Melchizedek, following the Lord Jesus Christ, we're a chosen nation, a chosen people. Each and every one of us is a priest in a spiritual sense 
That's one of the key tenets of what we believe as Baptists, is the priesthood of every believer. So that you are the right person for God's work. You can do it all. Because God has enabled you to do it. So the line of the returning remnant was, was important. Heritage was important. The right people had to return to Jerusalem to start up that temple work so that the priest was there, so that the kingly line was there, so that they were ready if the coming kingdom was to be ushered in. But God made sure that the right people were returning to the land. It was the return of the right people all those years ago. But what about us today as the church? And I've said it through this sermon that when it comes to God's work, if you're here and you're born again, you're the right person. That's it. Well, I'm, I'm, you know, you can say, well, I'm not, I'm not really qualified. Are you born again? Well, yes. You're the right person. Oh, I don't, I can't speak, can't speak. I couldn't get up and, and, you know, preach a message or do a devotional. You know, you could. (laughs) But if that's not your thing, there are many other things in the body that you could be doing. You could be helping with. Little things. Whatever it may be, there's something here for you within the body of Christ. Many hands make light work. Not in the body of Christ, it doesn't. Because some people need to be feet. Some people need to be legs. Some people need to be shoulders. But there is a part for each and every one of us. No matter what you think your lack of giftings is, I want to say to you this morning from the bottom of my heart and from the authority of the word of God, if you're one of God's people, you're the right people for God's work. You're the right people for God's work. You have a new citizenship. We started this morning with the passport. And, you know, your passport has your picture on it. Well, you know, when you become a born-again believer, your citizenship is not of this world anymore. It was. And you used to have a passport that would have citizen of the earth. And the picture on it was yours. And that would have never, ever got you entry to heaven. You've been rejected. But when you become born again, you're a new creation. And as part of that new creation, you get a new identity in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you get a new passport that no longer, it's not the old one scribbled out, it's thrown away. You have a new one that has your name and beside it it says, Citizen of Heaven. And the picture there on that passport is no longer yours. It's the picture of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's his righteousness that is upon you. That when you turn up at heaven and you show that passport, it's not your face that gets you entry. It's the face of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave his life for you so that you could have his life, his righteousness, his identity as it were, and you stand as a citizen of heaven. But for now, you're not in your home country. You're on earth. But you're still a citizen of the king, citizen of heaven. But you're now an ambassador 
and you're about the master's business or you should be so as we enter 2022 here's my new year's message for you if you're not part of the work of the church i'm going to ask you why why and there are many that do many things that are unseen and god knows that and that's what we're on about it's not about for other people it's not about so i can see it's about what other people do before the lord it's your walk before god that god sees that you know i come into church the other day decorations all gone nobody's seen that but god's seen it i've come before and seen the windows cleaned or 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 the or the things cut at the front and little things like that there that's the body working together and you say, Pastor, Pastor, that's all good, but, but, but I'm too old now. I can't go lifting things. That's good. I don't want you to go lifting things. But there is stuff that you can be doing. Praying. Coming alongside those that are younger in the faith and, and saying, you know, I, I see that you're struggling a little bit. I've been there. Let me tell you about the time when I went through this and how the Lord was good and how the Lord was glorious through the trial. Pastor, pastor, I couldn't. Listen, 2022, if you're here or you're listening online and you know the Lord is your saviour, you are the right person for God's work in 2022. So are you going to be part of what God wants to do? Because he wants to do something. And he wants to use you as part of his body in this local church. Just like all those years ago, God made sure as we looked to the rebuilding of the temple that he brought about the return of the right people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your truth. That Lord, when we know you as our saviour, when we're born again, that we are fit for your purposes. That we have a new identity in you that can never be taken away. Lord, I pray that you would indeed stir our spirits today and this week as we examine our lives. Lord, that we wouldn't serve you out of forced labor, but out of free will sacrifice. That it would be pleasing service to you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see something that we could be doing as part of your body to serve your purposes until you come or take us home. Lord, I'm thankful that you're a patient God, that you're long-suffering with us. And Lord, I'm thankful that failure isn't final with you, that all we need to do is come confess and walk in service to you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done for us in Calvary's cross. Lord, help us to live out this year as your people and as your children, as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.